thanks to you for being a part and watching today. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Proverbs chapter 18. Uh, we are in a series called Anchored. And the last couple of weeks, we have learned that the book of Proverbs is a book about gaining wisdom in a world of choices. And anchored people accept God's authority above all else. If you were with us last week, uh, we looked at chapter 3 of Proverbs. But we specifically looked at the verses 5 and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. This life is a journey, and Solomon uses the metaphor of walking through this life. He says that wisdom, when you walk in wisdom, it brings joy that goes way beyond you. But foolishness, which means following your own path, your own wisdom, it brings grief that is carried way beyond you as well. You see, Proverbs is about wisdom, and wisdom is about choosing to follow God's way every day. Wisdom is the God-given ability to see life with rare objectivity and to handle life with rare stability, Chuck Swindoll said. So see, when, when we follow God's way, I told you last week, I just believe He will make a way. Maybe different than what your way was or what you thought, but when you follow God's way, He does make a way. And when we gain wisdom, we understand this, that, that God guides and you decide. You get free will. And that free will comes with you submitting yourself, trusting in the Lord, and giving everything over to Him. And so this week, we come to another opportunity to actually look at ourselves and to see an area which all of us probably have room for growth, if we're honest. If this week has taught us anything, it is that our words and what we say, I think they really, really matter. The most destructive muscle in our body, it's not our biceps, it's not our thighs, it's not our, our tries. Yes, those can inflict some damage. Sometimes they can inflict some severe damage, especially if they are as big as mine. You know what I mean? But usually the damage inflicted by those muscles usually can be healed in a matter of weeks. But there is one muscle, however, whose wounds are so severe that it can take a lifetime to heal. And those wounds that have been inflicted because of this muscle, sometimes even after a lifetime, those wounds never heal. What muscle is that? Well, it's the tongue. And scripture says it this way, that it cannot really be tamed. All kinds of animals, it says, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. You see, James says, we praise and we curse and we speak. And in abundance of these words, sin actually abounds. And with this one little muscle, the tongue, the average person speaks around 7,000 words a day. Some of you, may, way more than that, but only a couple people that I know speak less than 7,000 a day, but that's the average. Per year, the average person actually says 2,555,000 words. Think about that. And over a lifetime, you will roughly say 860 million words in your life. Man, that's a lot of words, isn't it? And it is a lot of opportunity to bring life 
and bring hope and love to a world that desperately needs the abundant kindness to spill out of ourselves and out of our mouths. And it's a whole lot of opportunity to do just the opposite. When we were kids, our parents, my parents at least, used to teach us how sticks and stones can break our bones, but words could never hurt us. And as adult, we actually know that statement to be completely false. Quite honestly, words hurt and they sting more than sticks and stones ever could. And you see, Solomon, when we come to Proverbs, had a lot to say about what you say in this book. In fact, the subject of the tongue or the mouth, lips, or words are mentioned almost 150 times. That means an average of just under five times in each of the 31 chapter, which says to me, what you say and how you say it is saying something to those who are listening to you. You see, Solomon, he understood the power of words and the effect it had on those listening. You might have heard that talk is cheap, but I think that it's really expensive. And I believe Solomon agrees. In fact, so strong does Solomon speak about the words that rattle off your tongue that he says it's actually a matter of life and death. Listen to what he says in, in Proverbs 18. The tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Verse 21 and 22. Those who love it will eat its fruit. It is a matter of life and death. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? There's no neutrality in there, is there? Your words are leading someone towards life or your words are killing someone. The question is, are you bringing life or death with the words you choose to use today? See, the tongue is the only tool that grows sharper with constant use, Washington Irving said. When talking about the tongue, I read an article that said, none was better at insults than Winston Churchill. This was obviously written before the last presidential debate, but Churchill had no love for Lady Astor. She was the first woman to sit in the House of Commons. And actually, the feeling was mutual. You see, on one occasion, she found the great statesman rather obviously inebriated in the hotel elevator. With cutting disgust, it says, she snipped, Sir Winston, you are a drunk. To which he replied, Milady, you are ugly. Tomorrow I will be sober. On another occasion, they engaged in verbal sparring where she told him, if I were your wife, I'd put arsenic in your tea. And he responded, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> Maybe not the best way to handle an insult, but many times people excuse the words of those that are intoxicated maybe because their words seem to be out of their control. But more accurately, like Churchill, they've lost their filter and are saying what they are really thinking and feeling and what's deep within them. The world tells us that actions speak louder than our words. But see, I think words are loud enough on their own. In fact, so powerful Solomon said they provide life or death when spoken. In Proverbs 16, it says there are six things that the Lord hates. And three of the six are related to words. There are six things the Lord hates, it says, seven that are detestable to him. And the list is haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19. Listen, a lying tongue, a false witness who pours out lies, 
and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. These three things are on the same level as those who shed innocent blood. See, God takes our words seriously. And there is a reason for this. What we say is often a reflection of who we really are. See, what is coming out of us is stirring around in us. And when it comes forth, many of us, that's where we fall into sin. Jesus, when he was communicating, he had a way of of telling hard truths in ways that force people to stop and take stock in what they actually believe. He did it in a winsome way that drew people in, but challenged them at the same time. And in Luke chapter 6, Jesus goes after a deeper truth that needs to be unearthed about who we really are and, and what is the control center actually of our life. And as people who are part of his kingdom, Jesus said, we got to take a different line in how we live and how we speak. We must rise above the noise of this world and not add to the distortion that is being spewed everywhere we turn. See, Jesus knew the most compelling way to tell the world they were going in the wrong direction was to use parables or to share stories. And Jesus needed to answer the religious leaders carefully and expected his disciples to get what he was saying, but they were usually slow to the take many times, just like you and me. And in Luke chapter 6, it was no different. In Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45, Jesus warned us to judge ourselves first, to look for the speck in our own eye before actually turning our attention to the beam in our neighbor's eye. In essence, he was saying, as we walk into this next section, before asking it of anyone else, we actually should first ask, what kind of fruit is my life producing? Here's how he said it. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the goods stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So like Jesus, let me ask you, uh, what kind of fruit are you producing? Are are your words today bringing life or death? Jesus says to us, you live out of the abundance of your heart. See, the heart for us is our our, our directional system. It is our steering wheel uh, of our life. And it spiritually is what guides us and leads us and directs us by the power of the Spirit living in us. And he says, your your behavior isn't caused by what's going on around you, but your behavior is actually just reflecting what is going on inside of you. I don't know about you, but I want to believe so many times that my biggest problems are actually outside of me because that's so much easier for me to accept. It's easier for me to look and to point and to blame others than to actually look at myself and see, it's actually me that might be the problem. I think when I, when I look around the world and we look at scripture, the reason Jesus came is because we're self-centered human beings and we are in need of a great savior. And we look around all the time to blame and it started in the garden with Adam and Eve. I didn't eat of the fruit, they told me to. And the blame started to come from the very moment that they were caught in sin. And the same is true for you and me. See, we look to blame and we look to look outside of ourselves instead of actually looking at ourselves. And I don't know how many of you took my challenge last week when I, when I asked you to sit down with someone you, you actually trust and ask them, what's it actually like to be on the other side of me? And to stop and to listen 
What you were really asking if you did that was, what am I revealing about who I really am deep within my soul? What are you seeing in me that is coming out of me? And Jesus says, what you are storing up, it's coming out. And some of it is spoiled and rotten and spilling over. Some of it is refreshing and life to those around you. But you are bearing fruit. But it's what's going on inside of you that comes out. See, your words are dictating how people perceive you and actually how people define you. And your words, as Solomon said, produce life. Or your words bring forth death. There was another parable. And it was called actually the parable of the, the carrot, which I have right here in a bag, and uh, the egg, and the coffee bean. And the carrot and the egg and the coffee bean. And the story goes like this. There was a young lady, and uh, she was experiencing a, a world that was coming in on her on all sides. And who she was becoming was not becoming to her and to others, and she knew it. She was overwhelmed and she was disappointed in who she was and what she had done with her life. And she actually knew she needed to change. And someone told her of a story of three pots of boiling water. And in the first one was a carrot. And in the second one actually was an egg. And in the third one, there was this handful of coffee beans. And as they put those things in each a different pot, the carrot went in and it is strong and hard and unrelenting. But after being subjected to the boiling water for 20 minutes, it softened and it became weak. The egg had been fragile. Its thin and outer shell had protected its liquid and its interior. But after sitting in that boiling water, its insides became hardened. And then the ground coffee beans. Well, they were unique. After they were in the boiling water, they actually changed the water. The atmosphere was different, and the aroma filled the room. And the young lady was asked, who do you want to be? You want to be the carrot, who's actually grown weak and frail and frankly has just given up because so overwhelmed with life? Or are you becoming the egg? become bitter and, and angry and hard towards everything and everyone. There's another choice. Do you want to be the coffee bean? That although it was placed in boiling hot water and when the heat was turned up, what came out was that it changed the atmosphere and changed the water and things around the room began to change because it brought a fresh aroma to all who smelled. She said, the choice is yours. I don't know about you, but I probably want to choose the coffee bean. I want to be someone that brings life and not death. I want to bring someone who's not hard and bitter after the season we've gone in. I, I want to be someone who, who's not going to just be frail and give up because it's just so overwhelming and life has just kept coming at me. I, I want to be the bean that brings a fresh aroma and raises the bar of what's going on around me. And I want people to see Jesus in me because the fruit I want to produce is peace and love and joy and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and actually self-control because that's when I know I'm reflecting Jesus in me and through me. I really would hope that the atmosphere would change. And I think what that girl was learning was that, see, your past doesn't have to define your future. You don't have to be defined by what you've done. 
But there's a life in front of you that God wants to do something in you and through you. And Jesus comes and he says, like a bucket draws water from a well, so so the tongue dips down and, and pours out whatever is in the heart. And if the source is clean, if it's pure, then that's what the tongue communicates. But if it's contaminated again, the tongue will actually expose it. So what are you producing from the words you are communicating in the season where the heat has just been turned up on all of us? What's coming forth? See, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. And we could all look at this scripture and probably think about someone else that needs to hear this. But I think, if you're honest, you and I, personally, we need to hear it. See, um, it's been said that we are to know God and know thyself. So who are you? What's happening in, in your life? What's coming forth out of your heart? During this crisis, you're vulnerable to more than just the coronavirus. While that threatens some physical health, the virus of negative thinking can threaten your outlook and your output. It has affected you and me, but it doesn't have to actually infect our mind. If there is one battle people are losing right now, it's actually the battle to watch what we say. So I want to just give you three things to help you take some next steps with this muscle called the tongue that can bring life or it can bring death. But again, that's up to you. The first thing I'd like to ask of you as you look at this new season is that you would be people that would communicate with honor. Romans says this, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves. That word honor means that you would bring value or worth or weight. If you looked and you dishonored someone, it would be to take something or someone lightly. But honor, it gives weight to who they are and how you see them and how God sees them. See, honor has to come from your view of God and how he views people, which is a divine view and not a natural view. See, God can see everyone in their complete depravity and he actually holds them up in perfect dignity at the same time. It's a beautiful picture. Chris Hodges said that, that he can see their depravity, but he sees them for who they really are in his eyes, that you are a child of the most high God and you have been redeemed and saved. And he sees you as you are going to be, not as you are. And I don't know about you, but um, that's how I see our kids sometimes, isn't it? how I want to see my kids. I want to see them for who they're going to be, not for who they are right now. See, the way you see people will be the way you start to speak to people. I remember a a few years back I was uh, in India and I was asleep and it's 12 and a half hour time difference. And so I got a call um, in the middle of the night and and I was asleep and uh, as I rolled over, um, I missed the call. And as I missed the call, I knew that something was going on and there was not good news because my family doesn't call me in the middle of the night to chat. So I knew it wasn't good, but I just remember praying for protection and whatever it was that I would respond well. Well, when I finally um, got a hold uh, of my wife, um, I started thinking about my family and and she said, everybody's okay. But um, listen, you need to know what happened. Nolan was in a car wreck and he is fine, but he wasn't driving our car. And what I wanted to say in that moment, fortunately, never came out. But Nolan came on the phone. And I just asked him, are you okay? And he said, yes. And then I said, I love you. 
And you know what? He said he was feeling pretty bad. I didn't need to tell him that he was feeling pretty bad. He already knew he was bad. So I just told him I loved you. And I said, tell me what happened. And he said, well, I had my buddies in the car and, and I wanted to see how it would, the car would take uh, going around the turn at a pretty fast pace. And, and it didn't take so well. And, and I flew over the bank and I popped a couple tires and the car stuck in a ditch. And uh, after we went back and forth talking about it a little bit, I said, well, um, you get to call the owner and you get to tell him and you get to apologize to him and then you get to tell him that you're going to pay for everything no matter what it costs. And then we're going to go from there. And then I said something like this. I said, thanks for being honest with me, number one, and telling me why you wrecked the car and how you wrecked the car. And this is something you did wrong. But this is not who you are. You're going to get through this. We're going to make it. There's consequences. But I love you. And one of the things I wanted my son to feel and what I try and do with all my kids and in any relationship, I just want to honor them. There was a lot of things that were going on in my heart that I wanted to say. And there were things that he already knew. But we feel like we got to go at him. And I just held back and didn't. And I'm thankful because I tried to bring life in a moment where I could have been pretty hurtful. See, Scripture says, honor one another above yourself. I think maybe this week, for some of you, you might just need to go back and look at your posts over the last week and maybe see where you've brought life and where you've brought death. And if you've brought death or your words have been hurtful or harmful, maybe you just need to apologize. And maybe this next week, would you work on communicating with everyone in honor whether you talk to them, whether you write it on Twitter or on your Facebook, that you would actually stop and think about what you're writing and ask yourself, is this going to bring life or death? And if it's going to be death as much as you want to say it, don't say it. Some of you, I just want to encourage you, you might want to stay off of social media until after the election. Because you won't be able to stay away from conversations that are going to take you down some places you don't even want to go. And I promise you this, you're going to have a greater, richer, kinder view of others and yourselves. I promise you. So the second thing is, we communicate with honor and we cultivate the art of listening. Scripture says, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. I love what Chuck Swindoll said. He said, I never learn anything while I'm talking. It's only when I'm listening. See, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues, Proverbs 10, 19 says. And what we understand in this art of listening is that maybe we would speak less. And maybe because we speak less, we might sin less. Because in a multitude of words, sin abounds. And so many times, even with our words, we can't change what's going on out there, but we can change what's going on in our own life. We would do well to follow the advice of Proverbs and the advice of James who says, hey, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Holding your tongue or being slow to speak is taking hold of your anger before it actually takes hold of you and takes somebody else down. Holding your tongue it's taking hold of what is inside of you so it actually doesn't jump out of you and hurt others. So you want to be a learner? You need to learn to cultivate the art of listening to God 
and to others. So as you cultivate that, uh, that art of listening, the last one is to create an environment of life. Roughly there are 783,137 words in the Bible. But I think some of the most important words are at the beginning. Where it says in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created. Which means everyone you and I are talking to. We need to be reminded that they were created by our God. And if he created them, then we represent them as we talk to them. We represent him as we talk to them. And so that means they are important because they are created by an almighty God. And then the very first words spoken by God were this. He said, let there be light. And light brought life into this world. When I come to work, when I go home, when I'm at church, I actually want to try and create an environment of life with my words and my actions. See, I know how powerful my words can be. And I'm trying to be mindful to be more encouraging to those around me. And I think that's who God's called us all to be. What is going on around you says a lot about what is going on inside of you. And this season, being at home with everybody inside and confined has brought out some things that we probably need to be mindful of. You see, some of us, if we're honest, are growing maybe a, a little hard and maybe a little bit bitter like this egg. And we just might need to repent today to God and, and maybe to some others. Because our words and our attitudes have, have brought death instead of life. Part of it is by, by what you are taking in. Man, can I just encourage you? Less negative in, I, I think, could mean less negative out. And you know, we can't have buffets anymore at restaurants, right? Those probably are gone forever. But remember when those existed? You could go at the buffet and you could take what you wanted and you just leave the rest. Well, you can do that with the news, with politics, with Twitter, with Facebooks. You know what? It's never too late to change. You can just take in a little of what you need and leave the rest. And some of you, if you're honest, you become probably like this carrot. You used to be strong in, in who you were and even in, in sharing of your faith or standing up for yourself in a way that honors God. But, but someone and some of you He's just grown weak. And today, God's word is just what you needed. And as we start back together at, at our campuses, I actually want them to be a place of life and love. I can't wait for people to walk back on our campuses and experience the life and the love that Jesus can bring. And they experience the life and love when, when they actually meet you. Because can you imagine? Can you imagine in this season of being put in, in the boiling pot of hot water if we didn't produce a, a bunch of hard-boiled eggs or soggy carrots, but we actually, we actually changed the atmosphere around us like these coffee beans. And the world was better because we were bringing the presence and the aroma of Christ to everyone we meet. You see, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. As we said last week, God guides, you decide. I pray that you will communicate with honor. That you will cultivate the art of listening. And you will create environments of life and love for his glory and his honor. Because I think that is what is going to change our world. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for every person that's watching. 
I pray over them. I pray for them. I pray today, God, you would just, uh, as I pray you have, remind us how important what we say. How important what we say is not only important to others, but it's important to you. My God, we, we have a chance to bring life. And I pray for every one of us that, that we would just examine ourselves. And that, Father, whatever we need to do to take next steps to be more like you, that we would do that. For some of us, God, we, we need to just speak with honor. For some of us, we need to, to own our stuff and repent to you and to others. God, maybe we just need to learn what it's like to listen. And maybe for, for some, we know that, that there's not much life around us, but we can change. It's never too late. So God, may this world be filled with people who love you and live for you and bring the aroma and, and the beauty and the goodness of Jesus Christ to this world. So thank you for Friends Church. Thank you for the opportunities that are before us. And thank you, God, that our future can be better than our past because of you. May we honor your name. And may we honor your children with everything we say and do. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.